Okay. And we're recording it. It's in the middle now? I think so. Why don't you come take a look at this? And then right. It's a little Maybe high. I can, bring it, I can bring it down a little bit. And if I speak, you know what else is it? You know, I'm a white guy with a lot of opinions. <laughs> Another thought I had recently. Okay, let me just get the setup. And we're, we're starting now. Yeah. So, Lenny, I've, there's a revolution. I am, I am starting a revolution in baseball analytics. So people have heard of sabermetrics. Baseball Shavik revolution. Ba- yes, baseball Shavik revolution. This is, like, this is like sabermetrics for those who haven't. Who are not familiar? The Society for American Baseball Research. You've seen the Money Moneyball movie, Moneyball, <laughs> Money Movie Ball, uh, with Brad Pitt, it's Billy Bean. So that's what Sabermetrics stands for. I have created Sabermetrics, which is the Asi- Society <laughs> for American Baseball Thick Boy Research. Okay. So basically, I compiled a bunch of data on all Major League Baseball players of all time. So dating basically back till we have data. So this is so this is like a hobby thing that you you've done. I was recently. supposed to be doing homework, okay. and I figured out that this data set existed, and I did, this turned into my homework instead. Okay, so you compiled a list in in honor of your group's founding mission. You wanted to find the thick boys in Major League Baseball history. I realized that what I could do, so that I was like I was looking for economic data, and I realized well baseball has a lot of data, so I realized That's I could true. pull down all the data on every American baseball player of all time from baseballreference.com. And how many stone is Ty Cobb? I could find that out. So the, the, so that's... How many wickets by roof? Uh, well, yeah, I, I'm not going to do it in stone. We have it only in... <laughs> we, in not imperial. Your, your system's busted then. That's I, the only weight measurement I recognize. So basically what I did was I compiled every data baseball player that's ever played. Okay. And I calculated their BMI because it also has their height and weight. What is it? Remind me what BMI is. BMI is essentially a, a calculation that most doctors use um, that could put you in a category of underweight, normal weight, overweight, obese, or morbidly obese. What, what is and it, And it's though? more or less a calculation of your height proportional to okay. your... Most Americans... What is, estimate my BMI. Your BMI, I would guess, is probably like 24, which Hell, would, put you, yeah. would put you in normal... Weight range, oh, but like, so is there like, like so a general theory that you've developed based on this thick boy study? Well, or? let's see. This is there's a lot of who's the thickest boy. That's what it, that's what we want to go do. Next. Okay, so this is where I, I it's more like a derivative process. So like I wanted to kind of like look at who was the biggest, and I think you might actually know who this is. And here's a hint: he's played for both the Chicago White Sox and the New York Metropolitan. Is it Bartolo? It's Bartolo Colon. Bartolo Colon is the thickest boy. Wait, he's the fine thi- thickest boy. Thickest, thickest boy BMI. based on BMI. Oh, actually, no. Wow. That's correct. He got dethroned last year by... So he's the second thickest. So he, so so Bartolo Colon is, is it, the uh, second. Is it Prince Fielder? No. He's up there, though. Pablo Sandoval. Nope. Also in the top 10, but not him. Damn. Uh, that guy, I saw that guy in person at uh, Fenway up close. He The panda? Yeah. That is a large and spry man. He's a big boy. But the actual... It's, an, it's a young guy, Alejandro Kirk. Mm. Um... And he's he is let's see sixty eight inches and weighs two sixty five, so sixty eight inches would put you at five foot eight. <laughs> two sixty five, five foot eight, and two hundred sixty five pounds. And he can run. What position is he? Uh, let's check. I don't know. I'm gonna guess catcher. Coach. I'm assuming. He, uh, uh, no, he had at bats too. He, uh, he had bat, at bats in 2020 and 2021. Oh, I also updated this. So now I used to only have the 2020 data, but now I had 
He had a in 2021. He had 165 at bats. He played in 60 games. Uh, 40 hits. What team is he on? The Blue Jays. Um, Vlad had, Jr.'s a, a big had, BMI too, probably, probably too, right? He had eight doubles and eight, sh- eight home runs and 24 RBIs. Watching that guy hit, like, stretch a double would be a thing of beauty. But now, but we, Bartolo Colon, this, this, obviously this is only batting statistics. He's got the one home run on him. <laughs> we were, the, the legendary yeah. moment. Um, we know that one. That was classic. But um, so what actually spurred this was actually the thought of our, our history of like going to one of our favorite thick boys. We saw him do something classic. The, the Albers. The, the, Matt, the, the, the Matt Prince Albers. Albers. Prince Albers. <laughs> For that 2016 season, we saw him in his only at bat. He scored the, his only run in his career. It was his only hit for he had looks like he had two hits actually back in two thousand seven. It was a double, and that's all he did. So that whole season, he didn't do anything else, but he did hit that double, and that was a very yeah. Unique, that, that was, was like, the reason why it was amazing. Yeah, yeah, it was like it was really just like we're just yeah, seeing it, it in data. Bad. But anyway, there, yeah. there's just a lot of ways you can you can cut and slice this data. And I'm, what I'm saying to Rob Manfred is that I'm like, look, this is the future of the sport. Get guys like me <laughs> and Lenny looking at. Asinine. I thought you were going to say get thick boys. Let's get thick boys too. Well, let's you get know that what? Too. Oh, wait. What if the ghost runner rule? By the way, I heard a great um, someone said that instead of calling the ghost runner on second, the ghost runner, they should call it the Manfred man. The Manfred man. <laughs> yeah. Like but here, listen, I'm down with the ghost runner if starting in the 10th inning, the ghost runner has a BMI of over 100. What, is it, what would it be like? Over 30 or something? Over 30. Yeah. Or I've heard that like. The way that gets worked out is that the other team can pick, and they would probably <laughs> the, the, the other team picks who the ghost runner or, is. What, dude, what if it's one of the managers? Like oh, the third, because cool. like be, the managers are in uniform. They're in uniform. Yeah, yeah they, they can. They're part of the game. They can play. There were player managers yeah. at, at one point. And every inning, it has to be, or every inning, it's like a different person from the ballpark, maybe. Like someone, like one of the, like the fan gets to get involved. That'd be amazing. <laughs> That'd be pretty fun. I feel like then that would, that, that, like that would be. I mean, the baseball purists have already been. The you know, baseball purists would totally be all they'd uh, stick up their ass if all of a sudden fans started to play. I know, <laughs> just ruining the complete bastard. Not to mention, the also game. there was just a huge labor crisis around who yeah. gets paid for what. So I think fans getting involved. Well, Brian, but I'm glad you brought up the thick boy because I have something for you. Oh boy, I have something related to thick boy baseball. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, I'm excited. All right, have you ever heard of 16 inch softball? No. All right, I want you to picture a sport. It is a Chicago institution. It is a softball the size of a grapefruit. Actually, bigger. <laughs> can you imagine such a thing? I can imagine that. I can, All right. I, I can see. I visited in my mom's hometown of, Bur- or, well, current town of Berwyn, Illinois, the National 16-inch Softball Museum, and bought you a brand-new clincher. Oh, my God. <laughs> Folks, this, this is a describe describe for the audience what it's what uh, well it looks like it's in a classic kind of like the wiffle ball kind of uh box but bigger obviously. Um it is a red box. Well, you the, you can open the box. I'm going to open it. But like with the ball inside and oh my goodness. Ooh, and you know what? I was expecting it to be soft. Like well it's It it's does pr- soften up over time. I imagine that. It. But it was like Oh, man. This is like it's like a volleyball, or not? It's like a volleyball that like they that shrunk wrapped. <laughs> so sixteen inch softball, and this is the official. There's only one real kind of sixteen inch softball that it's universally called a clincher. Um, 
this is a sport that I don't know where it came from or how it started, but it is a very Chicago tradition. The, you play this with a bat and no one has a glove. Oh. And so all you need is like if you're in a park, you just have this is probably going to turn into a Seamus play type pretty soon. Yeah. He, he's, um, Seamus. He'll is soften at, it up for you. Yeah. <laughs> you just need a bat and like just throw every single swing is a hit and it's a lot of fun. That sounds awesome. We should yeah, play this. We absolutely should play this. This sounds like... And furthermore, it. I don't know that anyone... Most of the people that know 16-inch softball probably don't often encounter brand new ones because the whole thing about them is that you get them new and then they have to soften up. They do get soft over time. Right. But like in the season, course of the season, you'll use like one ball because right. it... Right now, it's kind of hard if it's coming hard at you. Yeah. But eventually, it gets like you know full of water. So it's similar to the it's similar to the dead ball era of baseball when they just used the same ball and then they had to because somebody because right. somebody died. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that that ball got harder over time. This ball gets softer. Over this time. ball gets softer over time. Yeah. Nice. Excellent. Thank you. This yeah. is awesome. I'm excited to play. Yeah, it's a direct Chicago tradition into your home. Well, uh, uh, you know the Chicago to New York connection. We, we it stays strong. Uh, on this podcast, and I'm grateful. Yeah, we do for pizza that. thicker, balls thicker, <laughs> boys thicker, uh, thick thick boys. Um, so let's talk about um the topic number one, uh, on this 65th episode of this podcast that we continue to do. You know, our last episode was seven months ago. Wow, which is probably the right cadence, I think. <laughs> but yeah, the, the, it is kind of. It's become. It's funny. We we called a a final episode around 52. Right, 50. Well, it was 50, 50 yeah. 50, yes, yeah. so even 50. And, and then we just kept doing it because it was like fun to hang out. Yeah. And we'll continue to do it because it's fun yeah. to hang out. And but it's kind of become this audio diary a little exactly. bit. Exactly. Yeah. You know what we should do, actually, just in the interest of an audio diary? We should probably do a COVID update just because we we're doing a good job of time uh, capsuling that. How's your COVID going? Uh, pretty good. As far as I know, I still haven't got it. You uh, never got COVID? No, I've never tested positive, and I never felt sick. Wow. Yeah. And Did you ever lose your sense of taste and smell? No. That is wild. I'm and I've sure been that's doing stuff. True. I've been like, I'm sure. I am sure that at some point I was definitely exposed and definitely maybe even had it. But I, de- I never felt sick. I never had lost my taste of sense or taste of smell or taste or sense of smell. Um, and I've never. I mean, I felt I've gotten sick at other times. And when I've gotten sick, I've tested myself and it came negative for COVID. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think the thing that I would want to record, it's going fine for me too. I was at a concert a couple weeks ago, and it was. It felt like the first truly, it was Krongbin at Radio City, which was amazing. Um, it was like a magic trick on guitar. Crazy. Nice. But um, it was. It felt like a first, the first truly post-COVID event that I've been to because no one checked for vax. No one, uh, like there was like maybe three people wearing a mask and we went out for drinks beforehand. And it was just like a regular event. And I noticed only afterwards that nothing COVIDly had happened in the middle and um, I think also just generally the fact that, you know, Russia invaded Ukraine in, in a completely, genuinely unprecedented um, news cycle, which also happened to follow the original <laughs> influenza pandemic, uh, World War, <laughs> yeah. took over the headlines and just like knocked out COVID. And like, and also we were, there There was another recent surge of like Omicron and stuff and just, it's really hard to care at this point. We're at this point, we're over it. Yeah. The, the vaccines it, are out there. If you don't get it, it's like, it's now we're on the table. Everyone's chosen their path. What can you do? Like, we're good. And we, either what's going to happen is that we're going to figure out a way to treat this and isolate it, or it's just going to keep going and we're just going to have better treatment sl- slowly over time. And that's just basically a reality of the life that we're going to lead. Yeah. yeah. Which I'm fine with, to be honest. So, yeah. I mean, that's, that, that is, and then we'll, we'll all die one day. Yep. Um, nothing we can do about that. So anyway, um, that's the that has been your time capsule on COVID, possibly our last COVID update. Um, 
I want a better conversation that I wanted to have with you was about um, crypto and okay. it's new what it's evolved into. So we've been doing this podcast for like what three four years. I think it's more than more than that. I think we started in 2016 or 2017, so it'd be five years at least if it started in 2017. All right, and yeah. we well we've been fans of this this crazy idea, this internet libertarian idea for a lot longer than that, and I think that. Um, so the Elizabeth Warren news hook is that she introduced uh she's she's been doing a lot of like stunt bills recently like she yeah. introduces stuff as a publicity stunt and um it's the way that law making works now like it doesn't actually nothing will get passed ever uh so they'll they'll introduce something to like you know like you have to do land acknowledgments in order to get abortions or something <laughs> or like or if you do an Atlantic only if you renounce critical race theory can you get an abortion or something um, you have to read the anti-racist baby like five times. Yeah. You're like, All right. <laughs> and then and then you're allowed to not get an abortion. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, so her um, she proposed a law about trying to restrict cryptocurrencies because on the grounds that it was going to enable Russian sanctions invaders to get away with not adhering to the sanctions. Right. And um, it's an interesting kind of it posed an interesting fulcrum in the history of, of Bitcoin to me because we both have always been bullish on the asset itself in terms of like we like to gamble on it and we want it to make money. Um, and I think corollary to that, we've both been excited about the world that it promises, like, you know, the, the utopian promises of it, just like every other technology from FM radio to television to the Internet before it. Bitcoin has and crypto has been a, you know, promised like a better future. And I think we're at the point now it the, the technology is the actual Bitcoin blockchain is now like 14 years old and I think that it might be time to have a real conversation about like whether this is a thing that I still identify with on sort of like a personal ethical level. I still own the asset, I'm not going to divest, but I get the sense more and more that it doesn't really need my support and when I started to see, and I also have noticed that a lot of the people that are kind of in the space are like the same kind of Wall Street people that I already didn't really like, and you know, are yeah. it just got kind of co-opted by the existing powers, and um, they don't really. It, it increasingly is something that feels like it doesn't need my support. Like I can still buy into it, and I can argue why I think it, the investment thesis, but I don't know that I'm really like identifying with it as like a thing that I like anymore. And with the Russian stuff, it kind of was like. You know, I always look forward to the idea of an event just like this um, being something that would be a boon to the currency. And uh, now that there's actually a sanction that I kind of want to work, which usually is not the case with sanctions, like I want the Iranian people to not have to suffer under yeah, sanctions. Not, you not know? have any kind well, of like, yeah, we don't want Iran to have like any kind of famine. Right. Yeah, I don't want anyone like, to have a famine. Yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. I don't want Russia to have a famine either. But yeah, um, like it's it at least is kind of like you have to do something like I, I don't yeah. know. I it seems I like get the, the only, logic. It's of the, it, right. the only short of a, a full scale war, which is not right. It's, it's also definitely not a desirable. It's also outcome. shifting the the battle onto our battlefield. It's like okay, we don't want to fight you in a heavy metal war, which we would win, by the way. But and and that's a good thing. But then like you don't get to play in the new world order that we run. Right. So, but anyway, so and because of that, I was like, well, would it be a good thing if like crypto? What be the main story of crypto for this generation became that it helped Russia evade this? Which I think if these, which what's kind of funny about that too is that like if in terms of Russia evading these, you know how the original oligarchs in Russia like they they got started because. Uh, they were like the few people who were like either mobsters and controlled some thing or some like industry, and then they just like legalized it, 
or it was the few people that actually knew how privatization worked and they bought up a bunch of shares. Like they, I think they distributed shares publicly to people who didn't really know how equity worked. And so a few people who did just bought it up from a bunch of people who'd rather have cash than this thing they didn't understand. And those people ended up becoming... So it's right. basically like... You know, in, in that like uh, perestroika era, it was like a bunch of people who knew how capital, how modern capitalism worked, and they ended up kind of becoming the oligarchs along with like the criminals. And, and it'd be kind of funny if like the sanctions ushered in a new era where the people that became the new new oligarchs were just the few that understood how crypto worked. Oh, that's <laughs> a possibility. Because yeah. they could evade, and they're like this. It's like the jailhouse uh, guys got the cigarettes. You know? Right. Yeah. It's it's the the red from Shawshank Redemption who's like yeah. kind of like the Morgan Freeman character for, who's just like, all right, I can get you what you need, uh, and and I can get you access to capital. Yeah. Well, he, what I've been thinking about crypto lately is I think why it became an interesting idea to us when it did was that we were kind of students of economics, I guess, and with it's I don't think it's a coincidence that. Bitcoin and crypto came around like essentially right around in 2008 and 2009 when simultaneously, obviously, there's the financial crisis that's going on. And also there's the like people are starting to awaken to the idea that the U.S. wasn't on any kind of like currency reserve standard. Like there was no hard money anymore. Yeah, that and, was when the whole end the Fed thing was really right. Big, like yeah. Ron Paul revolution and that kind of stuff. And, you know, that. That kind of stuff, we could argue about that all day, but I'm not. But I, I think that the general public, even though that we had been off the gold standard since 1972, was just becoming like kind of aware of that outside of Wall Street. So the technology merged with this like ongoing crisis, and also with this idea like, well, okay, well, if money isn't backed by anything, we have this other technology, then why don't we utilize that? And then it's come into a maturity that we could argue about whether it's good or bad over the past 14 or so years, as you said. Um, I think I agree with you for the most part where I'm like, I'm not as interested in it as like, it was way cooler at the beginning. Like it was like way cooler and more revolutionary. And now it's become kind of institutional, which has benefited me like a lot. Uh, like, like, but at the same time, it's not really, well, now it's not really providing the same level of like service. Well, it's also, well, it, I mean, it's providing more utility, like economic value. It's just that the, the idea that this could be some cool crypto punk, like cyberpunk thing, yeah, you know, is a little bit less likely. It's clearly just. I still think though. Oh, sorry to step on you, but I, I still think we're kind of in the same way that like the internet in 1994. I think we're at with Bitcoin. I think we're still at the internet in 1994, 95. That's like, the other thing too is that I don't, I don't think so because there hasn't really been a killer app yet. Like the internet in 1994 was connecting computers, and the idea of computers had already been proven out by a lot of different pieces of software. Yeah. Um, and people knew why it, what one computer was good for. And so having two systems talk to each other was like kind of a next step. Right now, there's nothing really that it's... No one has built anything. I mean, Ethereum is, has gotten co-opted by like NFTs and yeah. bullshit like that. Yeah. And so I, well, I, I, well, I would love to see yeah, some real use case. Yeah, that's true. I guess well, there are two things. One that I think is... And, Using the term value is a hot button term, so I'm not going to say it that much. But I think a lot of people miss the point on all sides of like left or right or whatever, where it's like the reason why cryptocurrency and Bitcoin is not going away is because we have now a 24-7 global casino that everyone on the planet has access to. And like it or not, that is it could you could assess as a net negative on humanity 
That's not going away. There's no way to regulate that away based on the technology that like Bitcoin exists on. And there's it's too there people are going to find ways to move this stuff and gamble on it either either gambling is a thing that has existed since we figured out how to like get an agricultural surplus. So and like gamble your wheat away for potentially that guy's like, you know, That's what they did tools. with Jesus's clothes. Yeah, exactly. Like uh, casting lots for uh, like uh, the so I, I think that th- that's maybe a bad thing. That that is a divorce from the techno utopianism that you and I had kind of envisioned for maybe a Bitcoin future. But at the same time, I'm like, well, the people were like, well, it's not worth anything. Well, I'm like, it's worth that everyone on the planet can go online right now and speculate on this asset that might go up or down wildly. And even the next five minutes, we could probably track it. Like, <laughs> it could be like it could g- gain ten thousand dollars in the next five minutes, and on that's various sick. exchanges, it's awesome. <laughs> like let's talk about um gambling too so yeah. all right we you and i were having a conversation earlier this week about like gambling because brian are you, are you again we know you're we know you're are you a thick boy i'm a thick boy i'm i think i'm talking my bmi our bmis might be i think mine's a little bit higher than yours obviously yeah you're but, like two inches taller than me i think but, but that, that should even out like you know what yeah. i mean it's like if i'm taller than my weight like that like it should let's actually well Keep talking, and I'll, I'll calculate it out my. All right. So I, I would say that Are you I'm a probably, gambling boy, though. Let's should we gamble on whether I'm a thick boy or not? <laughs> yeah. That's the that's what sports gambling is on, dude. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm I'm a I would say I'm a gambling boy. I like gambling boy. All right. I, like, here's what I want. Here's what I want you to do. Defend to me why I. I all right. I'm in favor. We're of more like, or less the same BMI. I'm 25.7. So, all right. That's yeah, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you're like kind of like when you're on a computer and you click shift and drag an image from the yes. corner and it, it just gets the whole proportionally bigger. Yes. Yeah, that's what that's what God did <laughs> in the same cauldron. Um, all right, so I'm in favor of gambling. Like gambling's fun. Like I get it. I want you to defend to me why gambling is a okay thing that society permits. Um, see, that's uh, the the frame of that question. Let me put it this way. Gambling in, uh, for a long time, like sports gambling, gambling on sports was illegal. And I don't really know a reason why it was illegal aside from basically a law derived from a sense of morality. The same reason why you used to not be able to sign contracts on Sundays. And in the last few years, like we, that is the idea of that in general is a quaint idea now because we don't have religion anymore. And we would, especially when any time, Especially if, if religion is ever or a morality based, you know, Judeo Christian law is going to get in the way of something profitable, that thing does not stand a chance. And so, you know, we've had like a lot of people have had uh, problems with the lottery and the fact that the, basically it was illegal, gambling was illegal because it gave the state a monopoly on gambling, right? Uh, on legal gambling. Um, but um, it became sports gambling became legal in the last few years. It was a floodgate opening, and now everyone's gambling. And the thing i feel about that is that i'm glad that that's the case i mean that activity is going to happen anyway and it's like better to do that than like a, you know with the nikki santoro from the casino yeah, yeah. <laughs> but or christian from Santi. but like but at the same time um i think there's probably a reason in a sort of wisdom of the ages sense because it's like a public health negative yeah to so get people the, addicted to gambling the, the negatives so i'd answer with like i understand why it was illegal Formally, it's addictive. It's incredibly, it can be incredibly addictive if you have the genetics or if you're a person who is prone to addiction. So, if you have other addictions, you could essentially, a lot of times, they find sometimes people in like AA or whatever sub out A for B and they're just like, oh, I stopped drinking, but I started gambling. Uh, it can result in you taking crazy risks on behalf of that 
uh, addiction. Um, it can also obviously result in corruption. And I, you, this is the argument where I would dabble in, well, this is why it should be legal. Like it's uh, already, if it's legal and it has some kind of state oversight, then when it was illegal, there, like when sports gambling was illegal and it was for a long time in America, basically for most of it, except for in certain locations, like there was the Chicago, the Black Sox issue, like that they were coerced into throwing the game based on like, well, that like, was that was something that could still happen though, which is like well that could still happen. A fixer fixed it. A fixer can come in now, but at least now a fixer could always come in. But in a scenario where it's legal and there is at least a state oversight board, there is a legal. There is a more legal oversight what is the state oversight board doing to make gambling less seductive to the people that are participating in the sport oh they're not they're well to the people that are participating in the sport that's left up to the leagues the only purpose of the state oversight board is just to collect the revenue yeah but but they would investigate or they 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 have to the bookies have to report who's gambling to both the state and to the leagues and the leagues then the leagues come in as a form of you know, as these like kind of unique monopolies that are like or exempted trusts that can uh, oversee, and they're like, well, our player, like it happened with the guy in the NFL. I can't remember his name. Uh, There's a recent NFL player who got caught gambling like kind of small amounts of money. Oh yeah, and, and the Dolphins or something. Right? Yeah, and he's now out for the the next year. He can't play next season. So it's like so, but that you know, in a scenario where gambling's not legal, and he's just working with a bookmaker who's, you know, a guy who's just taking bets that is only you know associated with organized crime or something like that maybe the league doesn't find out about that maybe then also there he's tempted more into like oh okay well actually if i get you know if i drop a certain amount of passes or whatever i i can get a kickback like there's there's more of those opportunities for i think a kind of that would be amazing I'm, I'm trying to picture like if an NFL receiver is so good that he can make a drop pass look like an accident i bet cuz i feel can. like if the, if you i'm trying to imagine if someone was catching a pass like right in the numbers how they would drop it because you, they, their instinct would be to catch it, and they yeah. have to like throw it at the ground. Right, it would be that tough, would be but I, I bet you they could. Uh, and especially with also like maybe they wouldn't wear like because like the NFL like wide yeah, receiver gloves are just like they just stick like it's like glue on your hand. But I don't know. So that's that's what my defense is that it's it's happening anyway. It's better the same way where like like the uh, elimination of prohibition of uh, marijuana, where it's like all right, well this market still exists and it's happening. It's probably better that the state gets revenue from this. And there's some kind of like oversight, like the same, like an FDA style oversight. Same way where it's like, okay, well, yeah, it's these these apps. Sometimes I've like when it, I was so excited for it to be legal in New York State, I was like, yes, I'm going. Like, let's let's go. I got all the apps, got all the free money in it, and I've been having fun with it. At the same time, it's like you do realize the insidious practices that these like it is it, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah it's, it's like tobacco. It's like explicitly an industry built on just getting oh, addicts to buy it. Oh, absolutely, and. Like, I think I have a pretty good moderation on my ability on all things. Moderation in all things is my is a mantra of mine, uh, yeah. including moderation. Sisters uh, and um, Mr. Bonsai Tree. That's right. But he uh, has a bonsai tree. I do, and it's good. It's I actually have to replant it. I think what's it's the good. BMI of that bonsai tree? It's probably pretty thick. I mean, it's like and it's kind of an airy. airy yeah, it's it's pretty light, but it's I mean it's grown. Yeah. It's it's uh it's grown. But uh back to my point, I guess it's just like I would say like the thing that it gets insidious is that like the, it's like the nature of the technology that exists with our phones right now where it's like the phones are already addicting. Anyway, you're addicted to your phone anyway. Uh, I would I would argue. 
Okay. But like, I mean, I use it as a tool. Like, I, I feel like I can drop it. I do love forgetting where it is. Like, I love getting inv- engaged in something in whatever flow state degree that I like. Don't care about my phone. That's such a desirable state. So I wouldn't say I'm addicted to it, but I also love when something else is displacing it totally. I I, I agree with that sentiment, and I didn't mean to accuse you of having phone, but I would say most Americans are addicted to their phones or have an over reliance on their phones. Sure. Yeah. So and so. I would argue that, like, I don't know, that, like, it is insidious. Like, you can log into these apps and just, like, start flying. Like, money can just depart. You can just start, like, placing money instantly. It's frictionless. Yeah. Uh, um, it's like Robin Hood. Yeah. It, well, that's the thing. So that, I think, actually, I think Robin Hood is more insidious than because within sports gambling applications. Because at least with sports gambling applications, the odds are presented to you at face value. You know kind of the risk that you're getting into. Most people do. And obviously there's going to be people that have addictions and get into it too deep. And But you could do the same thing on Robinhood, and that is completely complicit with all. And the problem, what I think is more insidious with Robinhood is that they can sell your data to people that have more money and move the retail market in a way that advantages But Robinhood's them. bad, too. Like, actually, that's that kind of makes my point for me, is that Robinhood I don't think is a good thing for society. Okay. Here's, here's my... I don't really have, like, a strong moral stance on this. I think that where I come down is that I'm in favor of decriminalization of everything under the sun, pretty much. But what I would like to exist is a substrate of morality that does not currently exist in the culture. Like, we don't have any shared ethical system anymore. And in some ways, that's good, because I think the old ethical systems were based on both superstition and also, like, real conformity and, you know... Like everything, it just you have to be homogenous, right? Yeah, that was those were the preconditions. Um, a new ethical system would probably have to be homogenous with something more elective, less like kind of identity based. But I don't think, well, I don't want it to be illegal. I would like it if there was some other kind of opprobrium that happened that that came to you if you engaged in something that was bad for society, which I think like gambling is. So, like in other words, it should be legal, and like if you want to do it, you can do it, and you're not going to get like. The cops, like there have been stories of like SWAT teams busting up poker games and stuff like that, and that is a hellish dystopia. Um, so I don't want that to happen. But at the same time, like this should be seen, I think, in a way where it's like, eh, it's not great for you, you know, kind of the way that we view like fast food right now. Like I think that that I think yeah. that our current discourse on fast food is in a good spot. It's like something that's freely available. You can get it if you want, but you know you probably shouldn't. And there's like going to be some shade thrown at you if you eat, have too much of it. I think that's a good yeah, but I think moderating that's, force. I think, uh, but I think that's, I mean, my policy of all things in moderation, including moderation, I think fits that moral parameter. I don't think we're, yeah, we're not disagreeing. I'm just saying yeah. that like what I'm, what I'm calling out is the fact that I think accepting Gantt, it, it, the, the, the main lament I have for society in general is that there's not any kind of like bonding, suturing sense of I would argue, though, ethics though, or morality. No, Sorry, not to step on you, but I would argue that if you, and you and I are pretty close friends, we've been friends for more than a decade now, actually probably like close to 14 years, 15 years, 15 16 years, years, actually 16 years. Wow. We old. <laughs> um, and like, if all of a sudden my personality changed to the point where I was on a gambling app, like you would be like, "What are you doing?" Like you would you would intervene. You would be like, "If I was on, well, yeah, but it would be, it but would there would be, be a moral intervention. It would have, I mean, like plenty of people's friends that have friends get addicted to this stuff. Yeah, that's true. But I, I'm just saying that that framework exists. I'm saying the intervention framework that exists in our modern moral, like there is a intervention framework that exists for other addiction things. That I think you could just port that onto the legalization of. 
Yeah, but, but those those kick in though at a point when you're already lost in something. Like it would not be ideal if you had to get addicted to something. It, and if a lot of people had to get addicted to something, like a lot of people are going to get addicted to gambling as a result of this. Yeah, maybe. And maybe it's um, you know going through a natural process of like anytime you give new access to something to people that haven't had it before, they overindulge. A shock to giving something new to to a new to a society that's not used to it is going to shock it. And I do think that there's going to be like some negative outcomes from it. Um, I just think that like yeah, again, my main point is that I really wish we had some organ inside of the society that people look to for guidance because they're going to look to something. And right now all we're looking to is like capitalism, which does a great job at what it's good at. And it does a horrible job at ethics. And so um, there should just be, a, there should be like, and, a new, and uh, you had the ceiling of like, this is gross. You shouldn't do it. A new like secular priest class that will like kind of, Mostly, I want to be in charge of the secular priest class. That's where I'm going. <laughs> All Can right. I sign you up for my I would be into that. Flotilla. I, my, yeah, I want to have a private society. But yeah. I want to still gamble, though, so I guess you're not going to invite right. me. Well, it's going to be the schism that uh, yeah. tears us apart. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, we just got to hold on to it. I got to hold on to it. Like, Dude, how fun would that be, like having a seastead or something? Like you go out to sea, and then you get bored, like, like minute number 10, you're like, Ah, fuck it. Let's have a schism. Let's <laughs> like, start okay. a civil war but on this bitch. That was a concept, I you know, John and I had for like uh, a, a kind of like co- comedy slash dystopian sci-fi novel about like two guys that bought a ghost town in the middle, like in the Midwest, and but they essentially started a animal breeding program and they had a schism over like what was the ethics of like animal like dog breeding <laughs> and and they turned into it just turned into a wild west like both of them turned basically turned it into a ghost town of feral animals what would the what would the rift be over the rift would be over actually like i think it would be an attempt to introduce new like genetics into like well like i think we we were kind of fleshing out a couple of different ideas but it's like one person just kind of like doing kind of like a gene therapy on the animals, and then the other person just doing a all all natural kind of like we're actually going we're doing a animal husbandry like breeding program for like my like I guess it, we were talking about all the different breeds of dogs and how wild it is what we've done to dogs, <laughs> and we're like, yo, wouldn't it be crazy if we like if we created a dog town in the middle of nowhere? I'm like, no, you know what's crazier if we had a different ethics on what the dog breeding should be. There probably is. Yeah, there. Well, there you is. At, this, you seen a Frenchie recently? Those things should not exist. Should I, would, not exist. I would be on the other side of well, that. Well, it really. We watched a Discovery Channel or National Geographic about there are the they these foxes in Russia where they circling back like that. They basically could have only conducted fox in Russia. There's no difference at all. Democracy. <laughs> January sixth is nine eleven. <laughs> thank you, woke Lenny. Uh, <laughs> uh, thank you, woke lib Lenny. Um, <laughs> But the, essentially what the experiment was is that they took these foxes that they're like, oh, okay, well, we think that like the way that dogs were bred is that the more amicable ones self-selected out, like humans self-selected those out, and the ones that were wolves, gray wolves that were more ferocious kind of like went the other path. So basically they took these foxes that were And only of, the coolest cavemen could domesticate those ones. More or less. And then like, they, so what they did was they took out all the most docile fox puppies from each litter and kept breeding them for a couple generations and they also though did the inverse where they took the ones that would like bite you no matter what and they like they separated the populations and there's one that has the just imagining that that's like gotta be like some primitive name they gave to one like this one will be called bite you no matter what (laughs) yeah it's like that's a very indigenous style name of like (laughs) I call the big one bitey (laughs) and uh, like but you see it and it's wild like the ones that they self-selected out are like puppies. They're the cutest animals ever. And then the ones that they're like turned into like ferocious killers. Th- like you could not even put your hand near the cage because these things were like 
you would let this thing loose and it would like kill if you let it loose in this apartment it would kill us all like instantly it would, it would, it would i feel like you're you're possibly slipping yourself into sort of primitive man style tall tales but i, I get your point yeah no, I'm, I'm not. T- I'm not. T- look, watch, watch it. I'll send you this. Have you ever seen? You know what? I will say in in corroboration of your theory. Have you ever seen a dire wolf or like a, a like a big gray wolf? Uh, yeah, they're huge. They're yeah. enormous. Yeah. I never. I knew. I never knew that they fucking came that big. They're kind of like if you ever seen like an Irish like wolfhound. Yeah, they're like right. that size. But a, one that can move. One, one that exactly. can fucking jet and like is angry and is like muscly and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, yeah, they're huge. Um, but yeah, I'm going to send you that. It's only an hour. It's worth it. It's like uh, about the history of dogs. But anyway, that's the germ of that idea. I don't know how we got, we got, we got sent down. I think we could probably wrap up. So, um, what do you think the, what do you think the BMI of a gray wolf is? It's a good question. I don't know. I think is there, give me a, give me the BMI of a MLB player named Wolf. That's a good question. Let's see. Uh, I'm in the right database. Okay. Wolf. Oh my God. This guy's name is great. His his nickname. So his full full given name is William Van Winkle Wolf, but his his nickname was Chicken. His nickname was Chicken Wolf. <laughs> Chicken Wolf's BMI. He was a big boy. He was twenty eight. Oh, twenty eight. Yeah. Let's see what I'm well, gonna he, see. Was he the ball? Uh, yeah, he was the sixteen inch ball. Uh, he weighed in at one hundred ninety pounds, and he was. Uh, Seven sixty nine inches, nice. Uh, so he's he was five foot nine, under ninety pounds. Yeah, yeah uh, that's, that'll do it. Yeah. So uh, chicken wolf of eighteen eighty five. So yeah. I guess twenty eight is the PMI of, of a gray wolf. Let's make that the episode title. Chicken wolf. The chicken wolf of eighteen ninety five. Yeah, of eighteen eighty five. Eighteen eighty five. All right, Brian, you got anything to plug? Uh, my thick boy database. So I'll be posting more about that. Uh, I'll probably be working a show at Union Hall sometime soon. Those shows have been selling out, though, so those have been fun. If you want to see me at Union Hall at one point over the next month, you'll, I'll be there at a certain point. I should go to one of those. That'd be f- yeah, I'll, I'll see you if you're around on the next one. I'll add you to the list. Dope. Okay, cool. Let's wrap it up. We didn't talk um, about it. the, the U- war in Ukraine bad. I'm not, uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm not a fan of that war. I'm not a fan of any wars. I'm make not love, not war. Wars. That's our Brian, call. Let's go make love, not war. That's, let's do it.